Well, we're on the last part today of a six-part series that we did uh, called Secrets of Spiritual Growth. And uh, if you missed any of them and you want to catch up, they're all online, they're all on YouTube uh, under Gateway Alliance Church. And so, uh, whether you, you come in person or whether you watch online, make sure that you check out the previous five parts. This is based on a book that I wrote about a year ago called Secrets of Spiritual Growth. We're on the last chapter of the book today. There are still a few copies, signed copies, which is worth 10 times the price of our and we're, next week we're going to start charging 10 times. If, no, we're not. There's a few signed copies left if you want to get hold of them today. If you're watching online, it's available in paperback and Kindle on Amazon. Today we're going to be looking, we've looked at a number of things. We've looked at the fact that there are three stages of spiritual growth spoken about in the Bible. Spiritual childhood, spiritual youth, and spiritual parenthood. We've, we have seen there's a different emphasis uh, that comes at each of these stages and a different spiritual diet that you need at each of these stages. The Bible calls it the milk of the Word, the meat of the Word, and the bread of the Word. The simple basic truths of the gospel that God loves you, that He is your Father, that through the finished work of Jesus you are totally forgiven, your salvation is assured, and you're safe in His hands. And then there's another stage where you're focusing on learning about who it is you believe in and what it is you believe and becoming strong in the Word of God. And also, even though you know you're forgiven and your salvation is assured, you realize that you still have sins and strongholds in your life that are holding you back, and you begin to deal with them, and you begin to overcome the evil one in your life, and then you continue to grow in your faith, and you come to a place where now the kind of big picture has all formed in your life, and in your mind, and in your heart. You have a, you're, you're still a learner. You still get so much more to learn. We'll be learning for all eternity. Countless ages will not be enough to plumb the depths of all the knowledge of God and His plans, but you've come to a place where you are settled and you understand what you believe, and you now have this wide view of God and His plan, and all your focus is on knowing Him and on, on discovering your life purpose, your place, and where you serve. All of that is a lifelong journey. But what I want to talk about today is the purpose of all of these things, because all of these things are not an end in themselves. For instance, learning the Bible is important. Learning Scripture and, and learning what Christians believe and all of that is important, but the, it's important not for the purpose of gaining knowledge, becoming very knowledgeable about something. That's not the reason for it. The reason for wanting to know the Scriptures is because the Scriptures reveal to us who God really, really is and what God really, really is like. And so, the reason that we want to know the Scriptures isn't that we want to know the Scriptures, it's that we want to know God. We want to have a genuine, personal relationship with God, and very often we have misconceptions about what God is like, and as we learn about Him from His Word, it changes these misconceptions 
misconceptions and they help us out. Imagine, for instance, uh, you, you're a woman and you get married to some man, or you're a man, you get married to some woman, but let's make it a woman and you get married to this man, and no one has ever told you that, you know, men have different temperaments than women and all of that kind of stuff, and um, you, ju you think this man that you marry is going to be like one of your girlfriends, and he's going to be another girl, and you don't understand what this man is really, really, really like. You have an image in your mind of, of what he's like, but your image of what he's like and what he's actually like are two different things. And you constantly get frustrated or your relationship doesn't seem to be going well because you don't understand this man is different from you. Then one day you read, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Now, I've actually never read that book, but I understand it's about the differences between men and women. And so you're reading this book and you're like, Aha, that's why he's like that, because he is a man and not a woman. Okay, so now, now that you're learning more about what men are like, you understand your man more and you relate to him more. That's what the Bible is like. As we read Scripture, it, it's like we have constant aha moments that God isn't like we thought he was, uh, that he's actually so much better, and so we get to know what God is like. Now, if you said to your husband, stop talking to me, I'm too busy reading men are from Mars and women are from Venus to understand what you're like, so be quiet, he would think the whole point of you reading that was to improve a relationship, and the whole point of us reading Scripture is so that we can grow in our relationship with God. It's the same with prayer. The purpose of prayer is not so we can get stuff. I know sometimes when we pray, we are really desperate to get stuff. We need this prayer answered and this prayer answered and this prayer answered. And yes, you, you do gain knowledge when you read scriptures and you do get stuff when you pray. God is a prayer answering God. But the real purpose of it is for you to enter into a personal relationship with God. I've called this this one today, the secret to becoming grounded in your faith, because things will happen in your life that will cause you to sway one way or another. It could be that you were praying about something, believing for it, and then it looked like the absolute opposite happened, and why did God let me down? It may be that there are some things that the Bible teaches and that Christians believe, and they don't fit in with your cultural beliefs, and you really struggle with it, and, and you find that a stumbling block to your faith. It could be that, um, that uh, you have idolized a particular Christian Bible teacher or something celebrity and put them on a pedestal, and now they've fallen off their pedestal, and now that you put all your hopes in them and you looked up to them as an example, now you, you're, you don't know what to believe. Um, I remember one girl once, there was a, a, a teenage girl that told uh, one of her staff a, lot, a long, long time ago, told one of her staff, um, I don't think I can be a Christian anymore. And they said, why is that? And they said, she said, well, I've been reading, you know, I'm at, at school, I'm studying about evolution, and I think evolution's true, and therefore I cannot be a Christian. And her staff member said, well, 
I personally don't believe in evolution, but lots of Christians do. I mean, like, the, the gospel is not, thou shalt deny evolution, and therefore thou shalt be saved. The gospel is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's nothing to do with anything else. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Um, and this girl said, oh, my parents told me I had a choice. I could either believe in young earth creationism or not be a Christian. It was one or the other. And, um, and thankfully, uh, their staff member said, look, honestly, if you believe in evolution, you can still love Jesus. Be open-minded to the fact that in a few years' time, you might ditch believing in evolution. Your, your beliefs will come and they will go, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our goal is not, we don't put our faith in a particular understanding of God. We put our faith in the living God Himself. So all these things are about developing a relationship. And if you have a strong personal relationship with God, you might read something one day, you might be disappointed in somebody another day, you might be disillusioned in something that's going on in your life another day. You might have questions, why did God allow this to happen, or I don't understand this thing, or you might still have questions, but your faith will not falter because you have a deep personal relationship with God. And so, and, and all of the things that I have been talking about, be careful about legalism at this stage, and be careful about this at that stage, I'm not teaching all this because I've done it all perfectly. I made all of these mistakes, and I continue to make mistakes. And I kind of use that as, do not learn from my mistakes. Don't make your own mistakes. We all make mistakes, and we all go through tests and trials. And I have gone through lots of phases in my life where I was upset about things because I didn't understand why God allowed this to happen, or I've believed this particular doctrine, and then I've got, had doubts about it, and I've changed my mind, and I've, I've, I've believed something else, or people that I've known um, have really let me down, or hurt me, or fallen away from the Lord themselves, and all of that. I've gone through all the ups and downs of life, but I'll tell you one thing that has never happened to me. I have never had a crisis of faith because I know Him. Somebody could come and say, I've got proof, scientific evidence that Moses did not lead the children of Israel across the Red Sea. Have you? Yes, I can prove it scientifically. Therefore, you have to give up faith in God. You can prove whatever you want. I know God. I know Him. I have a personal relationship with Him. You cannot talk me out of that. You may as well. I've got my daughter sitting in the front row here. She's my daughter. I am her father. We have a family relationship. You can show me all the scientific evidence that you want that she doesn't exist. I know she does. I have a personal relationship with her. Well, maybe it's your imaginary friend and it's psychosis. That's funny because psychosis always makes your life go downhill, but faith in Jesus makes your life go uphill. And so I'm happy to have faith in Jesus and see my life blessed and go from strength to strength. Have a deep personal relationship with God. Look what the book of James says. This is the whole point of it all. 
When you draw close to God, He will draw close to you. When you make a decision to open up your life and say, I want a close relationship with God, He'll come rushing in. He will meet that need in your life. And so, how do I develop a relationship with God? Because you hear a lot of these kinds of things, you know, in church, you know, have a relationship with God, or it's not about a religion, it's about a personal relationship. So, how do you develop a personal relationship with God? I think I've got five points here. We'll see if I can get through all five of them. I've got five points about how to develop a personal relationship with God. And the first one is, read, feed your soul with Scripture. Feed your soul with Scripture, not your ego. That's one of the things that you have to watch out, because sometimes when you're learning about Scripture, you'll discover something that you didn't see before, and sometimes it's so exciting, sometimes it's mind-expanding and eye-opening, and then you have this knowledge that other people, and you're so much more mature than other people. Be careful. When you think you're so much more than other, so much more mature than other people, that's a sign that you're immature, okay? That's a sign that you're allowing knowledge to puff you up. It's very easy to do. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The reason that we want to read and study and know the Scriptures is not so that we can be puffed up with knowledge, but so that we can grow in our love for God and our love for people, which is what Jesus said was the two main commandments. Right, so why is it we read Scripture? We read Scripture for two reasons. The first reason is it reveals to us what Jesus is really like. The Scriptures reveal what Jesus, who Jesus really is, and what Jesus is really like. There's so many passages that we could look at, but look at this one from John 5. Jesus was speaking. He was speaking to the religious people of His day, and He said, you search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. It's not the Scriptures that give you eternal life. It's Jesus Himself, the risen Christ, the living one. He gives eternal life. The purpose of the Scriptures is to point us to Jesus, and with a real relationship with Jesus, we receive eternal life. Many years ago, back when I lived in Scotland, I was driving through the city we lived in one day, and there was this van in front of me, and it was, it, it was from a, part, a Christian ministry. They had like a ministry logo. It was like an open Bible with a little dove flying out the pages or that kind of thing, you know. And they had a, they had a slogan there. And it said, it was this Bible verse. But they had edited it down. It said, search the Scriptures, for they give you eternal life. John 5, 39, and I'm reading that, I'm driving behind it, I'm thinking, that doesn't sound right. Search the Scriptures because they give you eternal life. John 5, 39, I remembered it, and when we got home, I looked it up, and I thought, it says the exact opposite. It says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life. 
But the Scriptures point us to Jesus, and He's the one that brings eternal life. The Scriptures will reveal to you what, what God is really like and who, how He is revealed in Jesus Christ. And the second thing the Scriptures will reveal to you is what you're really like, both your weaknesses and your strengths, both your sins outside of God and your righteousness in Christ. Because the Scriptures also are a mirror where you see your true self. James 1, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the purpose of the law is not to be, God's law is not to be legalistic, it's, to, it's the opposite, it's to bring freedom. We look at God's perfect law and we realize that we are broken and flawed and sinful compared to it. But then we look at what God has done in Christ and how we are forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, restored, new creations, indwelt by the Holy Spirit and with God on our side. He says, um, that, and, and that brings us freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So I want to encourage you, whether you're a spiritual child and you're just discovering Scripture for the first time, or whether you're a spiritual youth and you're learning stuff and reading books and you're highlighting your Bible and writing things and the, all of that kind of stuff, or whether you have been a Christian for many decades and you've read the Bible numerous times and you, you, you kind of feel like, I know the story, but I, I just want it to feed my soul now. Wherever you are, there are two things. Whenever you're reading Scripture, don't be reading it to puff yourself up with knowledge, to boost your ego, anything like that, be reading it to make two discoveries. The two biggest discoveries that anybody can make in life. Number one, who God is. Who God really, really is. What He is really like and how He has revealed Himself in Jesus. The first big discovery is who God is, and the second big discovery is who you are. And if you can learn, Scripture will help you learn both of those things. The second thing is this, enjoy prayer. And notice that I said the word enjoy, not endure, okay? Enjoy prayer. Sometimes, because we, we know we should pray and we want to pray, we think of prayer as being some kind of hard effort. Oh, other people know how to do it, but I don't know how to do it. And we immediately get into a mindset, oh, it's something I need to do. I need to work through it. I need to endure it. Pr the purpose of prayer is not to be endured. It's not a religious ritual that you have to obediently foresee, you know, go through. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be about a relationship. You get to spend time with the only person you will ever meet who has no flaws, okay? You get to spend time with God. Could you imagine a married couple and, and the wife says, Charles, it's 9.45 p.m., 
we always make love on a Thursday night at 9.45 p.m. And he says, so it is, dear. Well, let's get it over and done with then. You would think, there's something wrong with their relationship. You're supposed to enjoy it, okay? Not endure it. You get to spend time with the lover of your soul. And he wants to fill you with his love and with his presence. You get to enjoy prayer. When you pray, go away by yourself shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Listen, if you don't enjoy prayer, find a different way of praying that you enjoy. Find a little system or a little way of praying that you enjoy. I've changed the way I pray a few times over the years because whenever it feels like I'm just getting into a religious routine, I find a way to actually remind myself that I'm in a living relationship with a living God and get to speak to Him, to feel His presence, and to hear His voice, which takes us on to the next point. The next point is open up to the Holy Spirit. Open up to the Holy Spirit. If you want to, if you want Scripture to feed your soul, if you want to enjoy prayer, it can't be a dry religious ritual. You need to open up to the Holy Spirit. You need to open up your heart so that, you know, God is, God is present everywhere, all the time. The Bible says we can't go anywhere from His presence. But we are not always aware of His presence. And in order to be aware of His presence, we need to open up to His Spirit. Sometimes people don't spend time in prayer, they don't spend time in Scripture, they don't volunteer in church, they don't get serious about their faith because they think they are not holy enough. They think they're not a good enough Christian. And they think, if only I could get my act together, if only I could become a better Christian, maybe if I was less sinful and more holy, then I would have more of the Holy Spirit. But that's putting the cart before the horse. You don't make yourself more holy to get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in, and He makes you more holy. Oh, I've got these three bad habits, an addiction, and a couple of sins, and if only I could get rid of them, then maybe I would be spiritual. No, no, that's not how you do it. Open up to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit fill your life, and then one day you're going to realize, I haven't even thought about these things for, for weeks. I'm so caught up with the good stuff that God is doing in my life that I don't even… The Bible doesn't say, become less sinful and you will have more of the Holy Spirit. It says, get more of the Holy Spirit and you'll discover that you're less sinful. Look, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your human nature craves. The human nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If only I could be more self-controlled, then I would have more of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. If only I could have more of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit would develop self-control within me. Since we are living by the Spirit, let this is not Matthew 6. <laughs> this, we, I thought we changed this on Friday. This is Galatians 6. For any of you taking a photo, don't post it on Facebook. I know it's Galatians 6. Let us follow the… I, just, I felt the Spirit leading me there to look at the, the reference. Next one. Next one. Hear God's voice. Hear God's voice. I was, I was reading this article recently, and uh, it was a, a sat, it was like, a, it was satire, okay? Uh, it was the Babylon Bee, that's what it was. And uh, they had this little article, please speak to me, praise man, with closed Bible lying two foot away from him, you know? And the joke they were making in the article is, Sometimes we want God to speak to us, and we won't even open His Word where He has spoken to the entire world <laughs> and read what He has to say. And yes, they were making a very good point there. But then I read the comments. Never read the comments, okay? <laughs> then I read the comments with all of these Christians arguing with one another over whether or not God does speak to you. And I couldn't believe how many of them were saying things like, yes, God doesn't speak to you anymore. He only did that in Bible days. The only way God speaks to you is in the Bible. And I thought, that's strange. If the only way God speaks to you is within the Bible, how come within the Bible it tells us that God speaks to us in lots and lots and lots of other ways? He speaks to us in dreams. He speaks to us in visions. He speaks to us through the gift of prophecy. He speaks to us through the still, small voice within. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. Romans says that those of us who are the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. I think it is absolutely tragic that people could have been Christians for years or even decades and have never heard their father speak to them. It's unbelievable to me. And so, Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as a father knows me, and I know the father. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and He is more powerful than anyone else. Listen, if Jesus is your shepherd, if He's a good shepherd over your life, and you're part of His flock, you're supposed to hear His voice. If I had been a Christian for years, and had never heard the voice of God, 
I think I would be doubting my own salvation. I think I would be thinking, did I just buy into a philosophy with a list of beliefs and a list of do's and don'ts? I wanted, to, I wanted a real living relationship with a real living God. Thankfully, that is what I got. Now, I'm not, I don't necessarily mean you're going to hear God speak to you. You know, you're walking down the road, Martin, yes, Lord? I, I don't necessarily, now, that can happen, and I know of people that that's happened to, but that's not the norm. Neither do I mean that you're listening to voices in your head, you know, that's telling you to do weird stuff. That's not what I'm talking about either. I'm talking about the fact that when you know His presence, which I'm just going to go on to, you know His voice. Let's just look at that. Let's look at that. This is my fifth point, my last point. Develop an awareness of God's presence. Develop an awareness of… Do you know, you can do this in three minutes. If you just sat down someplace and shut up and told your mind to shut up, within a few minutes, you will become aware that you're not alone in that room, that there is a presence all around you and deep within you. Learn to become aware of God's presence. Look what Psalm 139 says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from you, even when you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Even when you clicked on that link that you knew you shouldn't have clicked on in the first place, His presence is with you. You can never get away from His presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Learn to become aware of God's presence. You know, when we worship in church, we're not just, it's, it's not like we're having a sing-song, you know? It's not like the old days when you went to the, 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 the pub and there was no jukebox in those days, but there was some old guy playing the piano and everybody had an old drunken sing-along sing around the That's not what we're doing. We are entering into the presence of God. And you can become aware of God's presence. Learn to become aware of God's presence when you worship, when you pray, when you read Scripture, and eventually you'll learn to become aware of it all the time. Because at the end of the day, everything we've been talking about, about stages of spiritual growth and how your relationship with God will change and how your faith will evolve over time, it's all based on one thing. There's one thing that should be the main thing at the start of your journey of faith, and that same thing should be the main thing at the end when you're ready to give your final breath and leave your body and go to heaven. There should be one key characteristic the whole way through, and that, that is this, that God has become your friend, and you have become His friend it is all about becoming a friend of God. Let me show you this as we come to the end. Romans 5, since our legalistic, harsh religion and all of its rituals, is that what it says? Since our, what's the next word? 
Shout it together. Since our friendship with God was restored through the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful harsh religion. No, our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us what? Friends of God. Let me give you one more. It's in John's gospel, and it's from the lips of Jesus. John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, what's the word? Friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Let's stand together. We're going to pray just before we pray. The word in those last two verses that said friends, the Greek word that is used and is translated as friends, it means something really special. It is a word that was used in two capacities. Number one, it was the title given to the best man at a wedding, the groom's best friend. And Jesus isn't just saying, you are my casual acquaintances. He's saying, See you, birthday boy. I know it's your birthday today, birthday boy. <laughs> Jesus is saying, see you, birthday boy. You're not just one of my casual acquaintances. You're my best friend. You're my best man. You're my homie. You're the main man. And then this guy over here says, I thought I was the best friend. Yeah, you're my best friend. You're all my best friend. That's what he's saying. You're all my best, you're all the best man, you're all the best woman, you're simply the best, better than all the rest, okay? That's what he's saying to each one of us. The other thing that word means, as well as best man, it was when a king in his court, he had a small group of his closest confidants. The same Greek word was used of those people. It's not that Jesus is sitting in his throne and he saved you, but like you're six million miles away at the end, the very back of the crowd. You know, maybe one day in eternity you might get a glimpse of Jesus, you know? It's not like that. It, he's saying, I've saved you and I've brought you right into my inner circle. You are my closest confidant. I divulge my plans to you and I listen to you as you tell me of your needs. So come on, let's lift our hands up. Let's open our hearts. Let's open our minds. Let's open our mouths and let's say this together. Father God, take my life, every part, and fill me with your presence. May I know you, walk with you, confide in you, and hear your voice all the days of my life.
life. Thank you for inviting me to be a friend of God. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen, Amen.